Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the world's greatest boxing podcast, I Like Boxing with Joe and Joel. I'm Joseph Caulfield, joined as always by the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, the boxing scholar himself, Joel Ilier. Joel, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Joe. How you doing, mate? I'm all right. I'm not too bad. I've got to say, mate, you're, you're looking better than you're sounding. I know my, I'm losing my voice. I've had a terrible sore throat all week and uh, I think it's uh, as a result of everyone at the school being ill, kids, teachers, everyone's dropping like flies. Makes sense. Uh, I've made it in. To be fair, it's only when I've woken up in the morning, every time I wake up, my throat just feels horrendous mm. and then it just kind of dissipates quite quickly. Like after a half an hour or so, it kind of goes back to normal. Uh, I've obviously been taking the lozenges but yeah, it's kind of been like this now for a few days, at, at least. It just sounds awful. Um, I don't know how you got by. Yeah. Anyway, on another note, you've seen what's happening to all them uh, poor people in Gaza. Yes, yes, Joel, yes. <laughs> Are you trying to say that they have it worse than me? How dare you? No one has it worse than me, Joel. <laughs> anyway. Right, let's talk about uh, something else. Like, for example, you may be uh, moving on to Pastures New. Yeah, man, let's talk about this on a... On a... <laughs> Yeah, I believe they're calling it, and they call it making waves in like you know trendy yeah. circles. You know, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, making waves, no, making moves, making moves, making moves. Yeah. That's the yeah, one, isn't yeah. it? Making in the moves. world of work. Yeah, I'm making moves, mate. Well, I hope it goes well for you, mate. And uh, you, please mate. remember your dear old friend Joe. Don't you worry, mate. <laughs> I will. I will. We'll all. We'll all profit. Yes. Good. Right. Let's move on to the boxing. That's what we're here for. And we had a couple of. Uh, Excellent fights uh, the weekend just passed. Let's jump straight into Katie Taylor, Chantel Cameron 2, their rematch uh, for all the belts. At, not lightweight, but I believe it's... Uh, what Super lightweight. Super lightweight. Yeah, that's the one above lightweight. Super lightweight. And uh, we predicted in the, the pod before this uh, much more of the same. We thought that Chantel Cameron would probably do a similar job on Katie Taylor, but we were wrong. I'll give myself a little bit of a pass on that. I did say I thought it would be a much closer fight and that I thought Katie Taylor, there was something about her in the build-up to this one. Yeah, I mean, I do remember you saying that, actually, Joel. Well yeah, done. Thanks, yeah. thanks. But, you know, still sat on the fence and, you know... <laughs> You didn't well, say I didn't Katie Taylor's going to win, No, did no, <laughs> absolutely. My pick was Chantel Cameron. Amazing performance, mate. That was um, a, a truly great performance from a great fighter. I didn't really look at Katie Taylor before this one nope. as being that, having that sort of greatness in her. She was flawless at the weekend. Mm. She made Chantel Cameron pay every time Cameron tried to engage. Katie Taylor gave her something back. I thought that was an astonishing performance by an astonishing woman. Yeah, no, uh, couldn't have said it better myself. Um, yeah, I think what surprised me as well, I just don't think Chantel Cameron ever really got into the fight. It was a close fight in 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 that, you know, they both had success, but it was clear and obvious that Katie Taylor's success was, her accuracy was better. She was landing cleaner shots. Kate, uh, uh, you know, again, your eyes don't lie to you. It was just obvious that she was winning the fight. And no, it's what you were saying. It's It, it was the clean, judge-friendly punches were all coming from Katie Taylor. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing that she did, which she didn't do in the first fight, was she started well. And mm. she, you know, after five rounds, she was winning. Whereas in the first fight, she was very clearly losing after the first five rounds. Well, the worry was that she would start fading as the fight went on. And I think her body was, but her mind didn't. Yeah. And so she was just pushing herself through those 
difficult moments where mm. he got those gut checks and she had several there was a couple of times where Cameron was coming on strong mm. and Katie just repelled her every yeah. time it was yeah. um, I mean th- there was some chat I mean there, so let's just talk about a couple of uh, points or issues raised as a result of that fight the first round knockdown I mean your thoughts on that? I just thought it was a clear knockdown. I mean, yeah, she I mean, was sort of off balance from the jab, but it still matter. landed. Uh, well, you say she was off balance. She was sort of leaning sort of forward at the time. I mean, she just was pushed back by a really hard jab. Hmm. I think unless you're 10 rounds in or nine rounds in, a jab isn't going to knock you down with the force of the punch, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Hmm. Um, if you're, if a punch lands and you go down and your feet aren't tangled up or anything, then it's a knockdown. I'm not, I'm not sure what the judge, uh, the referee, sorry, saw there. Okay. Let's, let's imagine that that's ruled as a knockdown. That's a 10, eight round. And every other round after that scored exactly the same. This, fight is a split draw Cameron retains the belt Mm. so does she have a legitimate grievance then yes I think that as it stands and as rules of she should absolutely appeal that yeah they would never go for it but they might just mandate a rematch yeah but uh, it sounds for all intents they've got a rematch going on anyway so she's not going to do it yeah yeah but they won't overrule the they won't overturn the fight they no, never would do not. on something like that. No, it would no. just be about how the um, how the governing bodies uh, deal with it in their rankings, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing you have to say is that if it was a 10-8 round to Chantel Cameron, it could have changed the um, momentum of the fight in the sense that Katie Taylor might have just gone for it even more after yeah. that, really tried, you know. So you never know. We can't really say that that, you know, that was a pivotal moment in the fight. It certainly was, in, it was important in the sense that the referee clearly got it wrong, in my opinion. Yep. But... You know, you can't take away from Katie Taylor's performance. I think it would have been a night either way. The other thing that Jamie Moore uh, brought it up, he certainly spoke to the referee about it beforehand, um, the holding and the sort of use of the head by Katie Taylor. Did you see anything there? Well, I certainly saw the use of the head because it left a massive dent in uh, Chantel's head. But um, no, in terms of the holding, I didn't think it was it was too bad. I, I didn't notice anything in the fight. We mm. watched it together. Neither of us were screaming about holding, even though we commented on it several times. You could hear Jamie Moore, you know, screaming from ringside. Yeah, you know that, that it was happening. But no, I didn't didn't see anything too bad at all. Exactly. And let's be honest, I doubt he would have been screaming if Chantel Cameron was still put, pouring it on and putting it on her. You know, exactly. So. Did, did you think that Chantel didn't quite look herself? I I just think that maybe everyone really underestimated Katie Taylor. You know, I think the signs had been there, like you say, we've spoken about before in previous fights where we thought she might have got the rubber to green a bit. She looked like she was fading. After the first fight, it certainly looked like, you know, well, she's lost the first fight. She's lost in Ireland. It's sort of goodbye, see Mm. you later, swan song. Farewell tour. Farewell tour. And yeah, didn't didn't see this performance. I think... I don't think it was um, a great performance from Katie Taylor in the sense that you look at it and you go, oh, that was a masterclass. But for her to do that at her age, given what happened in the first fight, given, the, I think, the pressure on her to, to perform in front of her, you know, her home fans, you do have to say, actually, that was an absolutely outstanding performance. So I, I did think it was a masterclass. I just thought it was a great performance. I, did, did, I thought that the way that she dealt with a bigger, stronger, younger opponent Mm. I think was was masterclassish to me, and what we mean by that is that I personally think that that is the greatest performance of Katie's professional career. Yes, yeah, yeah. 
especially in a fight that she wasn't the favourite to win. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and I, I think it, you're right. And it was another thing that has struck me about this one, that one of my bugbears with boxing is is that whole talk of old, we've got one more great fight left in them, and they never do. Yeah. Ever. You yeah. know, we never see a great champion five years later or a couple of years later pulling in a great performance. We maybe saw it a little bit with Roberto Duran in his second run. But, you know, David Moore, all of that. But other than that, you don't really see it. And this was one of those. This was one last great performance. Or maybe it isn't. Maybe it's the start of a great run. Yeah, Um, who knows? But I think that she has improved significantly from the last couple of years. Yeah. Just Mm. shocked. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, congratulations, Katie Taylor, for putting on a performance we certainly didn't expect and uh, silenced a few of the doubters and maybe she will go on for a few more years. Who jo- knows? Joe, there's one other thing that I think we would need to speak about with it. This was a great fight. It was. A, oh, God, it was brilliant. I think we, can, we can't pass by the segment without talking about no, That we, was the best women's fight I think I've ever seen. I mean, it was an absolute humdinger when neither of them gave any ground whatsoever. And I mean, it was a tear-up. Fully committed. absolute tear-up. Yeah. It was brilliant. Fight of the year for me. Yeah, yeah. Just quickly, do you think three-minute rounds would perhaps change that? That's interesting because, look, obviously the fight wouldn't have been that fight if it was three-minute rounds. You know, of course it wouldn't. But we don't know. There probably would have been a stoppage, though, if it was three-minute rounds. So, you know, you're not going to get through that fight, really, the way that they fought Mm -hmm. and survive it over 12. I don't know, mate. Is How on earth can we answer it? It's impossible to know. It is a tough one. Yeah. Right, let's move on to the other big fight on the weekend, which just took place, which was uh, David Benavidez against Demetrius Andrade. And David Benavidez, I mean, he's he's already announced himself, but my God, he put an absolute beatdown on Demetrius Andrade. I, I probably wasn't really expecting it to be that clinical and that quick. I, I You know, I think there were enough, there was enough doubt to sort of, you know, I could see Benavidez, Benavidez winning, but I could, I, you know, I wasn't sure necessarily it'd be a knockout or a stoppage. I just didn't think he'd be as relentless and as just, you know, brutal as he was in this fight. I think from round three onwards, the fight was more or less over. But you said something to me in about round three. You just said he's just a bigger, stronger margarito. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. Absolutely. He, yeah, he just reminds me of Margarito. He's yeah. so massive and he just walks through walls. And you can't hurt him, and he punches like a mule. Well, he's going to be an absolute nightmare to fight for yeah. anyone. And let's just, I mean, I hope he doesn't have uh, dodgy substances in his hand wraps like Margarito. <laughs> I mean, talk after that. Uh, did, did what? Did, I mean, did Demetrius Andrade let you down in that fight? Were you expecting it? I mean, he's been inactive for think, ages. He hasn't really fought much, but he, you know, he's certainly, he had pedigree. He did have pedigree, but I think he gave it a right go in the early goings. I think he tried to take control of the fight. I think that he's just, he didn't get the big fights young enough. He's now old. 35. He was moving up in weight, you know, he's he was outsized massively. I mean, they looked ridiculous in the ring together. They looked several weight divisions apart. Mm. As I say, he just got this sort of young beast mm. coming through. He would have been... He would have been very disappointed to have been stopped. And what was it, the fifth round, was it? Sixth round, I think. Sixth round. Yeah. Um, I mean, he just got completely overmatched after a couple of rounds. Um, and he will be disappointed. But to be honest, I just think that it's the stage he's at in his career. I don't think he let himself down because mm. I think he really tried. 
Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I certainly think he gave him, you know, put a decent account of himself forward in the first yeah. couple of rounds. Then he just started to get beat up. I mean, there's no, you can't really do much when someone's he, just. He did start getting beat up, but he, he was still trying to throw back. He wasn't, yeah. he did try. That's what I'm saying. I, I, so, but yeah, he, he was terribly overmatched in the end. Yeah. Um, do you think now that the fight that has to be made. I mean, it's obvious it's the fight a lot of fans are calling for, uh, Benavidez, Canelo, for all the belts next year. Is that a fight that Benavidez has now earned the right to have? Yes. Yeah. And, okay, so based on that, if Canelo swerves it, I mean, there's talk that he's going to fight Jamie Munguir in, um on Cinco de Mayo. It, could this be a potential swerve by him? Do you think he may look to avoid this fight? There's no way he fights Benavidez. You don't think he will? No. Is that because you think he may lose or he yeah. will lose? Yeah, he would definitely lose that fight. You think so? Yeah, he would definitely lose. That's an interesting one, Joel. He would, he would, uh, Benavides is just too young, too fresh, too big, too good for Canelo at this stage. Benavides would just put him through hell. Yeah, I mean, I, I have thought about that a lot. And I mean, it's kind of pointless in a way because there's, you know, this, the fight's not been announced. It's certainly not likely to happen anytime soon. Well, the thing I is, just think it's a similar situation where you un, you underestimate at your peril one of the great fighters because Canelo is a cut above anyone Benavides has fought, and I mean a massive cut above. So, as good as Benavides has looked, I think it would be crazy to just say that. Oh, Benavidez wins this fight. I mean, I I, I would have Canelo as the favourite, but I, it would be a slight favourite for me. Canelo would have to control him um, from the first bell because Canelo can't fight at a pace anymore. And I think in order to beat Benavides, you're going to have to fight at a high pace. You're going to have to fight, walk through fire and fight through fire and give him hell back. And I don't think, when I look at Canelo these days, mm. I don't see a fighter who is really willing to go to them depths anymore. You know, the guy's been around for years. He's going to be really shot warm by now. And does he want to go to the well again? Canelo was never one that when losing a fight, he would put it all on the line. Mm. Let's face it, against Floyd Mayweather, he didn't dare to win that fight. He didn't try to win it. Mm. Once he was losing and getting outboxed and getting beat up, mm. he accepted defeat. And he he just accepted his lot in that fight against Bivol. He got clearly outboxed throughout that fight. At no point did he put it on the line and and try and turn the fight and really win it. He's not willing to go to the well anymore. If mm. he wants to beat David Benavides, he's got to go to the well. I did hear um, that that from David Benavides as well that he. If he can't, I mean, he obviously wants the Canelo fight and he's very vociferous about that. But he said if he can't get the Canelo fight, he wants Jamal Charlo, uh, the, the, you know, the, the bigger of the two Charlos, because he wants to eliminate another option that Canelo may have so that Canelo has to fight him. <laughs> Basically, if he can't get Canelo, he's going to take on Canelo's likely opponents. Brilliant um, tactic. I love that. I mean... <laughs> Who's going to want to fight David Benavides, though? I mean, he's just like an absolute freight train. Well, he's ju you've just got to hope that he's a draw. You know, he's got to hope that he's a draw. I don't know what his numbers are saying mm. at the moment and, and you know, whether he's pulling in the viewers. If he is, then they'll have to fight him. You know, there's very few fighters that can turn down big fights. Canelo, obviously, being one of them. Yeah. But most of these other contenders can't. They, yeah. They'll want the big fights. They'll want yeah. the dough. Right, so congratulations, uh, David Benavides, who may be the absolute real deal. Who knows? Let's uh, let's keep a close eye on him. Right, let's move to the news. And 
the probably the most interesting uh, piece of news that's come out this week. The British Boxing Board of Control has refused Conor Ben's application to box in the UK uh, on the 3rd of February 2024. That's his mooted fight, the long-running mooted fight against Chris Eubank Jr. Uh, on the grounds that he uh, hasn't proven his case with the board. Eddie Hearn was not happy and in an interview he did, he was uh, sort of insinuating that legal action will follow from Conor Ben's team on the basis that they uh, already were, the, the suspension was cleared by the National Anti-Doping Panel and therefore the logical conclusion of that being that he is free to fight. But to make really clear that the reason that the um, you know National Anti-Doping Agency found that was nothing to do with whether Connor was adjudicated to have having taken drugs, mm. it was because um, it was just a matter of jurisdiction. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting news story, but I'm I'm quite bored of this now. I'm really bored of it. And I mean, I agree with the uh, idea. I, I certainly agree that he shouldn't be really, he shouldn't be boxing again, full stop, until he's answered, mm. certainly given some sort of adequate answers uh, or, or inadequate answers that result in a, you know, an actual suspension. But, you know, uh, I just think that, that there seems to be so many legal routes for him to escape punishment that I almost feel like I'm starting to get worn down and I'm in the sort of corner of, I'll just fucking get on with it now. I've just had enough. Like, But he has a blackened name for me. Mm. If he can't, if he never addresses this with the British Boxing Board of Control, then to me, he's a cheater. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. He said it all. Right. Uh, this was a really interesting uh, news piece. Absolutely hilarious. Uh, Anyone uh, who saw Ryan Garcia's press conference uh, in the lead up to his fight with Oscar Duarte this weekend will have been eating popcorn and looking with a big smile going, what's going to happen next? Because uh, Ryan Garcia absolutely lashed out at Bernard Hopkins and Oscar De La Hoya at perceived uh, grievances. The nuts and bolts of it was that he seemed to have been in his bonnet with Bernard Hopkins who who more or less sort of said, you know, if he loses this fight, if it was me, I would question whether I want to, I certainly would think twice about continuing to fight after Oscar De La Hoya and Bernard Hopkins had, had spoken. And there was clear tension on the stage anyway. They hate, they clearly don't get on. It's such a strange relationship. He's the, he's promoted by Golden Boy and he absolutely hates them. It's just nuts. Bizarre. The it's whole thing so is bizarre. bizarre. Um, he lashed out at Bernard Hopkins for his comments and said the only person who will decide whether he fights on or fights is himself, his team, blah, blah, blah. And then he really went for it. He said, I recall Bernard Hopkins once saying that he'd never lose to a white boy and look what happened there. I remember Joe Smith Jr. knocking him out of the ring. I mean, talk about going for the jugular. Oscar De La Hoya was just stood behind actually like shaking his hand head. Hand over his face, Hand over he? his face. Absolutely nuts. Um, off the back of that, Oscar De La Hoya... Uh, has posted a, uh, some messages on social media. They, I mean, this bit I don't like. It's this sort of like um, express my concern via social media. I, you know, he said something along the lines of, "I've got concerns about no, you know, Ryan Garcia's." No, he, he used mental instability yeah. and said, "As we've seen, you know, this is no, they're all before. insults. It's insults. Oh, totally. It's not concern. It's yeah. insults dressed up as concerns. Yeah, He's exactly. just trying to absolutely um, ruin his name. And the thing is with Ryan is that all of these things actually are going on." 
Yeah, you know, we've seen all of that in his past, but Oscar De La Hoya and Bernard Hopkins as the heads of Golden Boy Promotions meant to be promoting um, Garcia. That's their job. Mm. And what they're doing is really quite outrageous. Um, they've had a, a concerted campaign now for years to ruin Ryan Garcia's name, insult mm. him in public over and over again. And I think it's got to stop. I don't think it's acceptable. I think most of what they say is probably true, but it's not their place to be saying it and you don't need to be airing your dirty laundry in public like this. No, I, I feel I, really sorry for Garcia. And if it's true that his mental health problems are as bad as Oscar De La Hoya and Bernard Hopkins claim they are, mm. then they should be absolutely ashamed of trying to stick the boot in on someone who is in, in having a lot of difficulties at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if I guess if they're that bad, it really we have to question whether they should should be fighting at all. The one thing I'll say though, in a slight criticism of that, I do have of Ryan Garcia. I say slight, I do have a criticism of him. I think that this, whether he is right to feel aggrieved about the whole situation, for me, he's got to just let his talk do his talking in the ring now. For me, he is a a good looking Instagram fighter type person mm. I, I, don't, I don't disagree with don't him, think he's but... done anything yet to sort of justify I, I get the fact that he's a draw i get the fact that he will generate money in big fights of course he will he proved that in the uh, uh, tank davis uh fight but I, I i think now is the time to just shut the f- shut up do your talking in the ring and then maybe once you've put in a sort of stellar performance maybe then come out with what you have to say. So that seems really unfair. No, but the other thing I have to say, though, is that I I also, um, because of what's happened at that press conference, I I do really, I'm not sure he's in the right frame of mind to fight. Yeah, but they went for him. But that's his job to... but the thing is, it's I, his job to be in the right frame of mind to fight. He's, I agree, but what are you meant to do in that situation? He sat there at the press conference. He didn't start <coughs> that. Yeah. That was just um, Bernard Hopkins just yeah, got on, on the mic and just started doing his stuff. Well, what's he meant to do as any self-respecting person, just as a man, when someone there is just standing there insulting you and all this? What's he meant to do? Then just walk up to the podium and go, oh, I thank God and whoever else, you know, that's he had to say something and do something. Said. They just put him in an awful spot. Yeah. Um, and I think if he'd come out and look, to be honest, I don't know whether Ryan Garcia was antagonising things in the build-up on social media. No. Maybe that was happening, in which case, yeah, you're probably right. Just do yeah. your talking yeah. in the ring at the moment. Yeah. You just had a bad one, yeah. you know. Um, but from how I saw that play out in the press conference... He was under attack and defended himself, which I think he had every right to do. It's just really unfortunate because he shouldn't be dealing with this now. And you're absolutely yeah. correct in that he shouldn't he shouldn't be going into this fight with his yeah. head all over the place. And from that press conference, yeah. it looked like his head is all over the place, yeah. you know. So, but, I, I mean, the, the only other thing I, I will say about it as well, again, this is a slight criticism of Ryan Garcia. Even if even if he does have these you know grievances. From a sort of public relations perspective, is it a good idea to really go for, you know, two bona fide legends of the sport who fought all comers? I, I just think he, you know, it may be hard for him to do it. Bite your tongue, do your talking in the ring, win a world title, and then maybe stick your two fingers up then. 
But these two are too full. All comments. They, sort of, they, they so they can just stand there in a press conference saying whatever on earth they want about him, and he's just meant to sit there and, oh, just, out of respect, just sit there and take it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not necessarily saying saying that, but I just think it's going to look really bad for him if he lose, if especially if he loses this fight. Mm. I mean, for me, his image is just. Yeah, but I think totally he would look. Destroyed. I agree, but I think he would look even worse if he sat there in the press conference, just taking all of these insults, not defending himself in any way, and then goes out and loses the fight as well. He's got a fight. His no, no, no. no. I, I, I get that, but I maybe you know, wouldn't it have been better, maybe perhaps, to just say, "Look, I've got issues with these two, but I'm not here to talk about that. If if, if they want to, then that's that's their prerogative. But that that's that's their slight. That's their shame. Yeah, I I, I get, think okay. I want to fight. Yes, I, I have. I'm just interested in getting my career back on track. All right, yes, if he's going to have the control and the self-control to sit there and say that, yes, but mm. fucking hell, to be honest, I don't expect that of any boxer. I've never seen any boxer with that <laughs> level of self-control, mate. So Yeah. yeah no, or I, any person, quite I, frankly. But yeah, yeah, if he can do that and is capable of doing it, yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, interesting. We sort of uh, quite kind of disagree a little bit on this one. I, I, I think there's obviously a lot more to it than we really yeah. know, um, but... My, a lot of history. My, my my take from it was that I, I just thought, I, I don't know if you really want to go for these two. Mm. And then, you know, what if your career pans out to be terrible? Just not going to be a good look. Well, let's face it, his career is not going to get anywhere near either of theirs. No, of course not. But, course you not. know, uh, at least try. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> right, anyway, so and all our listeners, check that out. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's one of, you know, that meme where you eat the popcorn. It's brilliant. <laughs> Love that. Right, here's another funny story. Boxing's full of them. Uh, a geezer, as I've called him, because I don't know his name and I'm not really bothered. A wanker. Um, he, there was a viral social media video uh, probably a year ago now of someone on a plane sat behind Mike Tyson who thought it would be hilarious to essentially wind up, provoke, you know, just chat to... Uh, someone who probably just want to leave in peace <laughs> on a tightly confined place. <laughs> anyway, uh, this was recorded and it went on for a bit and then uh, someone uh, shot the video, I don't know when, a few minutes later, which showed Mike, Mike Tyson basically <laughs> landing numerous blows on this guy <laughs> and he had cuts to his head. Anyway, he has demanded... $400,000 from Mike Tyson in a uh, basically what's known as a pre-litigation settlement so before he takes any uh, action in court you know maybe it does pay to be a dick <laughs> just Americans are shameless yeah right? absolutely shameless I know I think he should just take his medicine and sort of just tell it as a, Sit down a story for the grandkids yeah. you know be proud that he's got a funny sort of funny story but I had to take my medicine had to take a few licks from Tyson I deserved it but uh, as you say Joel it being America he's uh, apparently entitled to 400,000 I'd love to know how they work out how these damages are because <laughs> Well, in the video where he had the cuts on his, it didn't look terrible at all. And, you know, he didn't look like he was dazed or, you know, I, I, I see Mike fear a few and then just sort of restrained himself because, you know, could could be a very bad criminal offence to kick the shit out of someone on a plane. I bet it'll be like reputational damage, reputational harm, that sort of thing, even though he's the one who ruined his own reputation by oh, doing yeah, it all in the first place. What, what's the other term that they use? Like, um you know, pain and stro- distress, yeah, that sort of yeah, thing. It, yeah. My pain and distress lasted for months. Yeah, yeah of course it did. Yeah. Um, anyway, another interesting story. Check it out. I just thought that was hilarious. Right, let's move on to the Kinahan of the Week. 
So I've got two contenders, and I'm just going to throw them in, and then we'll maybe choose uh, which one we're going for. First one is the WBA, and uh, for some reason I can't quite understand. They have decided to introduce another weight division in boxing, which is called the Super Cruiserweight Division. Here is the official statement from the WBA. The creation of this new weight will mainly help to avoid bouts in which the fighters enter the ring with excessive weight differences, as tends to happen at heavyweight occasionally, where there can be differences of 20 pounds or more. Why, listen, why don't you go back to the era of Sam Langford when they were fighting fighters <laughs> who were like 50 or 60 pounds bigger or smaller. Just ridiculous. Fighters considered small heavyweights will have the option to move down to super cruiserweight and seek opportunities against more balanced weight opponents in the quest to make the sport increasingly fairer. Blah, 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 blah. Just a bit more there. Anyway, I don't really understand this. Um, And I'll to sort of more modern example. I mean, if you look at Mike Tyson when he came onto the scene, he was probably, compared to some of the heavyweights there, 20 pounds lighter. Yeah. I mean, he was a small heavyweight. Well, Deontay, Deontay Wilder hasn't struggled. No, exactly. Uh, and they also released as well a list of um, rankings for the division, which afforded you, Joel. I'm just going to um, bring it up and go through some of the names because, quite frankly, I don't know any of these fighters, the majority of these fighters. We've got Evgeny Tushchenko, Leon Harth, Alexei Egorov at number three, Badu Jack, who we do know, Roman Fress, uh, a Chinese fighter called uh, Zhao Jin Zhang, Riyad Meri from Belarus, Andrew Tabiti of the USA. I mean, I doubt they'll be doing many pay-per-view uh, fights here. Kem Lundqvist from Denmark, number nine. We've obviously got we've got Chevon Clark from Great Britain at number 10 and Isaac Chamberlain. Maybe they can make a fight between those two. Um, I just think it's utterly pointless and maybe, to be honest, it might just be a way of them making even more... Uh, fees from sanctioning fights yeah well I think that they had their sort of annual get together and they had a look around at the competition and thought well what are our competition doing really badly what have they done that's just flopped and not worked and they went well our main competition the WBC did that ridiculous thing with the bridge weight division yeah. <laughs> and they tried starting a new weight division and they've got this guy as the champion who's like awful and it's all a little bit of a joke and even though they keep trying to get fighters to fight for this title they can't because no fighter wants to because yeah. it's such an embarrassing title yeah and sort of went oh well why don't we give it a crack see if we can do it better absolutely uh they're out they're trying to outdo each other in their stupidity aren't they joel that's really the the crux of the matter um there's also uh another one i uh want to go through very quickly so in an interview that tiafimo lopez uh did uh, very very recently he basically said he wants to fight Terence Crawford next and this uh, being the case because he rejected an offer of I think one and a half million dollars to fight Ryan Garcia during Super Bowl weekend in February uh, the crux of the matter was that he felt the the offer, the offer was low lowball offer as he put it uh, first things first I just think one and a half million dollars most people would bite your right hand off to make that sort of money from you know it's not one night's work you've got a camp etc etc 
But this sort of plays into the notion that, you know, fighters, really good fighters, great fighters, a great fighter. He's, he's not, you know, he's not a big money fighter, though. No, I mean, we're talking about somebody who in a massive fight in the industry against Josh Taylor uh, fought at Madison Square Garden but could only fight at the theatre because mm. they couldn't they couldn't sell the main arena well the theatre's only a couple of thousand and I don't even think that was sold out no and that was a big fight he is not a draw I am so glad you've mentioned that because that's exactly one of the things that I wanted to mention but wait till you see what he says about that Go on, um, the other thing that he's we'll come on to that one in a sec Joel the other thing that he said was that I want to fight Terence because how else am I going to be great? Besides, I'm the first male to become two-time undisputed, said Tifimo Lopez. Uh, techni- technically, that's not correct. He's never been a two-time undisputed champion. When he fought uh, Josh Taylor, it wasn't for all the belts. You may argue he is the uh, uh, you know potentially a two-time undisputed lineal champion. But what what I think he's doing here, and he's it, it's certainly something he's been pulled up on before, is he's basically embellishing his credentials. Mm. You know, he's he's not a two-time undisputed champion. He's never had all four belts twice. I'm sorry. And going back to uh, your point, Joel, he said, in my last fight with Taylor, we sold out the Madison Square Garden Hulu Theatre. Uh, not only did we sell it out, we got the highest gross that had ever been in boxing in that arena. The highest gross. So you can't tell me that I can't sell. Blah, 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 it's blah, inflation, blah. mate. It's right. just inflation is at record levels. <laughs> well, no, but the, the point that you made with that fight, uh, Joel, was that it wasn't in, it wasn't actually at the MSG Grand... Uh, in the MSG Garden Arena, was it? It was. Where was it? it no, was, it's the Hulu Theatre. That's what he said. To be fair to him, you're right. It's uh, it's not the you know the bigger one. No, it's the and basement. It you know it touches on what you said about his ability to sell. He you know he's not at that stage where he can sell out big arenas. So. No. Uh, you know, we know that Tiafimo is a little bit deluded, and I just felt with this interview, he showed yet again what a you know deluded. Um, he is a bit of a buffoon, isn't he? I mean, he's he a great fighter, but he just he he doesn't do himself any favors. No, he's a bit unhinged, and he yeah. uh, he doesn't necessarily live in reality. No, who are we going for out of those two, Joel? Who deserves the uh, Kinahan of the week the most? The WBA. Yeah, let's go for the WBA. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. So the WBA, you are our Kinahan of the week. That which brings shame on boxing, cracking stuff. Right, let's move on to the magazine lottery. And Joel, I believe you picked out an edition of, was it Boxing Monthly or Boxing News? Yeah, it was Boxing Monthly from June 2005. Right. Um, and now on the front page, we got we had Winky Wright, got Diego Corrales, got, Never heard of um, got Jose Luis Castillo. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> got Amir Khan. God, don't know that guy. <laughs> got James Tony. Really? <laughs> We've got Costa Zoo. Ah, I do know them. Of course I do. <laughs> Ricky Hatton, Arturo Gatti and Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. Now, I've just read you out all of those names for mm. a reason. Um, because one thing when flicking through this is that getting to the rankings, all of a sudden I looked at every weight division. 
Are those the transatlantic rankings? No, these are the Boxing Monthly. They used to oh, do right, their yeah. old, own world ratings, which were really good. Yeah. Um, basically, the, uh, I don't know whether it was a, a full panel or whether it was just Glyn Leach who used to mm. run Boxing Monthly, um, who sadly passed away, uh, which is why Boxing Monthly is, not, is no longer around. Um, but they used to do really good um, quality rankings, which were always my go-to back yeah. in the day for just good, unbiased uh, rankings. Yeah. And... Um, just looking at them, this is just an unbelievable golden age of boxing. And I just wanted to go through them a little bit with what we've got in here. Yeah. Because um, if we just look up from the super bantamweight division upwards, and actually I say that, we had some serious greats further down. In fact, let's go right down. Minimum weight, we had Ivan Calderon at number one. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he's, you know, probably one of the very, very best minimum weight uh, champions in history. Yeah. Um, even up at flyweight, we had Ponglasek, Ron Jongopan, um, who was the Thai who ruled the division for sort of probably about a decade, yeah. um, a true great um, down at those weights. Um, but then if we look at the divisions from super bantamweight upwards, it's quite ridiculous. At super bantam, we've got number one, Oscar Larios, number two, Johan Guzman, number three, uh, Maya Monshapur, number four, Israel Vasquez, yeah. number five, Celestino Caballero. Oh. Mate, we don't get oh. to Ni- Toshiaki <laughs> Nikioka until oh. number six in the rankings. Oh, really? Mate, at number seven, we've got Daniel Ponce de Leon. Oh, wow. Number okay. eight, Nadal Hussein. Yeah. So this is just such a steep uh, stack division at the time. And a load of those guys fought each other. Featherweight, the next weight division up. We've got Juan Manuel Marcos at number one with Manny Pacquiao, Rocky Juarez, Scott Harrison and Injin Chi in the top five with Chris John who ended up being the number one at featherweight, beating Juan Manuel Marquez at number six, Zahir Rahim, who became the undisputed champion at the weight at number seven. We have Victor Polo uh, at number eight, Humberto Soto at number nine, rounding out with Robert Guerrero at number 10, Mm. who was a future Floyd Mayweather opponent and and welterweight champion. I mean, it unbelievably (laughs) stacked. At super featherweight... I mean, this may be just the, the most acting boxing. Marco Antonio Brera at number one. Eric Morales at number two. Joe, I'm just waiting for it. Oh. Never, never heard of them. <laughs> never heard of them. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> Got Jorge Barrios at number three. Yep. Jesus Chavez at number four. Carlos Hernandez at number five. Robbie Padan at number six. Vicente Mosquera at number seven. I remember, you may he, remember. Was a, um, he was an opponent for the lunatic Edwin Valero. Yep, that's the one. Um, number eight, Cassius Beloy, who was a really great fighter. That's all at super featherweight. At lightweight, we've got Diego Corrales at number one, number two, Jose Luis Castillo, number three, Juan Lazcano, number four, Asselino Freitas, number five, Juan Diaz, number six, Joel Casamoyor, number seven, Julio Diaz. That's crazy. I mean, this is bonkers. Like This era of boxing... And they uh, and a lot was of them just fought each other as well. Well, all of those guys fought each other essentially. Yeah. Then ones down at Super Featherweight, all those guys, Juan Manuel Marquez, Marco Antonio Brera, Eric Morales, Manny Pacquiao, they all fought each other, mate. Yeah. You know, it was uh, at like welterweight, we've got Costa Zoo at number one with Floyd Mayweather at number two and Arturo Gatti at number three, Vivian Harris at number four, Ricky Hatton at number five. Mate, Miguel Cotto don't even make the top five rankings at like welterweight at this wow. point. We even also had Sean B. Mitchell and Junior Witter in there. Solomon and Bayat number nine. He ended up being a champion at the weight. Yeah. At welterweight, 
just ruling the vision, just Sab Judah with yeah. three of the titles. Underneath him, just Marco Antonio. Uh, sorry, underneath him, just Antonio Margarito, yeah. followed by Shane Mosley and Corey Spinks. Yeah. I mean, are you joking? Yeah. Like, Luis Calafo don't even make the top five in that. Yeah. Kermit Cintron was coming through at the, at the time. He's out at number eight. Kermit Cintron was a player at the time. He could have really done big things in the sport. Mate, at number nine, we've got the future king of the weight division at Carlos Baudemir. At number 10, Joshua Cloy. Can I just say quickly on the Kermit Cintron one, I mean, he he suffered from some misfortune, didn't he? Because if I'm, unless my memory's going badly wrong, he lost to Antonio Margarito. Twice. Twice, loaded gloves. But mm. that was at the time when no one knew about that. Absolutely. And he was a real good prospect. He, he never was the same after that. He was the future of boxing uh, going into that fight with Antonio Margarito. Mm. In fact, if you look at the shorts he was wearing, he did the whole superstar thing of wearing the American, the Stars and Stripes, you know, on his shorts. He was he was groomed for big things. He was fighting out the Cronk gym. Mm. It was all going for him. Yeah. You know, we all thought that he was the sort of uh, the champion in waiting. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, upper, like middleweight, a little bit thin. But actually, it's the top three of Kasim Umar, who weren't too bad at this stage of his career. Number two, Oscar De La Hoya, and number three, Daniel Santos. Okay. Daniel Santos, at the time, had just beaten Antonio Margarito relatively oh, wow. recently. So, okay. you know, that's, that's his So he form. could take a loaded glove punch, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and a decent shit on him. Uh, up at middleweight... <laughs> Joe God, Calzaghi. Check, check this out for a top no, five. No, that's super. What am I on about? Check this out. Bernard Hopkins, surely. There we go. Yeah. Go on, ever guess at number two? At the time, uh, Felix Trinidad? Nearly. Um, oh, Winky Wright. Winky Wright at number two. Felix and at number Trinidad. three, yeah. Felix Trinidad, exactly. Um, then we're getting to number four, Jermaine Taylor, who oh, ended wow, up being course. the undisputed yeah. Yeah, at the yeah, weight. Yeah. And number five, the outstanding, enigmatic, one of my heroes at the time, Howard Eastman. Oh, yeah, of course, Howard Eastman. A, Gosh. British, a forgotten British boxing great. We should do a piece on him soon, actually. We've got, we definitely will. Um, in fact, maybe we'll do that uh, that fight with Bernard Hopkins, or maybe that little period where he fought William Joppy and then Bernard Hopkins. Yeah. Um, as super middleweight, we had the number one, the world's best. Joe Calzaghi. And Wales's finest, yes. yeah, Joe Calzaghi. Number two, Jeff Lacey. Number three, Mikel Kessler. What a top Three. Is Carl Froch on there? Nope. Really? Before his time. Oh, wow. I guess he'd only just, because he did the Olymp- um, the Arthur Commonwealth Abraham Games. Arthur must be on there, in, surely. Yeah, Arthur Abram, though, he came in at number 10. Oh, okay. Let me have a guess. So he was only 15 and 0 so at the time. Who else would Go have on. been on that list? Who fought in the, I'm just trying to think of the Super 6 series, so... Um, None of them are there. None of them are there. Oh, no, oh, wow. sorry, sorry. No, I'm looking Andre at um, the super middleweight. Because you said um, Arthur Abram, I was looking at middleweight, mate. Oh, he was in the middleweight Ar- ranking. Arthur Abram oh, yeah. didn't move up to super middle until the super six tournament. Oh, interesting. Uh, just tell me who's in super middleweight. Right, sorry. So, super middle, we've got top three of Joe Kazagi, Jeff Lacey and Mikel Kessler. Mm-hmm. Underneath that, you'll know a load of these. You would have you would have mm. got them if you're thinking. But you've got Anthony Mundine, yeah. your man, Porn's very own. Robin Reed. Yeah. You got um Danny Green <laughs> and Marcus Bayer. Marcus Bayer was at number four. Okay. Um, he was a good fighter, Marcus Bayer back then. Very yeah. good fighter. One Sven of the Germans. <laughs> Had he retired by he that? He retired point. by then. He just <laughs> retired. Um up at light heavyweight, we've got a top two of uh Glenkoff Johnson and Antonio Tarva. Can't argue with that. That was a great little time and they fought three times. They had a yeah. great trilogy. Mm. That's those so a real overlooked, forgotten trilogy, that actually. And this okay. was this must have been just after their first fight, which uh Johnson Johnson won because Johnson's number one in the division at the time. Mm. 
So we've got Jean-Marc Mormeck at number one. Yeah. Um, who we got at number two at Cruiserweight, Joe? Surely not Johnny Nelson. It's Johnny Nelson, oh, mate. He, he must have been very close to retirement then, surely. No, he had another good few years left after this, because okay. this is before um, Enzo Macronelli had come onto the scene. Yeah. So his last fight was meant to be against Enzo Macronelli at the MEN. David Hay must be on that list. No, he's not. This not is before David wow. Hay's time. This is before David Hay, Carl Froch, the, the class of that Commonwealth Games wasn't out yet. They weren't, they weren't, they, I think they just about turned pro. Who else is at Cruiserweight then? So we've got O'Neill Bell at number three, Wayne Braithwaite at number four. Now those two had a great little um, little rivalry. Yeah. Um, Carl Thompson at number six. Oh, okay. Carl Steve Thompson. Steve Cunningham at number nine, Alexander Gurov at uh, number eight. Um, good fighters, all of them. Wow. Interesting. Have and a little then, guess at who lets us down, though. All of this, all of that greatness spread oh, all gosh. over the world, and then we get to heavyweight, and... Oh, um, yeah, Klitschko. <laughs> this was just the worst time. It was Vitaly Klitschko at the top, actually, to yeah. be fair, um, followed by Chris Bird at number two. Oh, my gosh. A fat, overweight, steroided-up James Tony at number three. Yeah, oh, a, no. A past-it Hasim Rackman at number four. Yeah. And never was John Ruiz at number five. Yeah. A bloody bank manager at number six. Oh, yeah, the uh, Calvin, Calvin Brock. Brock. Yeah. At number seven, Lamont Brewster. All oh. right, solid heavyweight. Yeah. Give him that. Number eight, a very faded Andrew Galotta. Wow. Number nine, basically a journeyman in Monty Barrett. Oh, gosh, yeah. And number 10, the one who flattered to deceive in Samuel Peter. Yes, interesting. So, so it was a golden age other than the heavyweight division. Well, and they do say that, don't they? I mean, we still talk about it now, that really the heavyweight division leads boxing, and if the heavyweights are great, then that, that leaks down. Mm. But this was the rest of the sport at the time, propping up the sport mm. uh, when the heavyweight division was on its way out. Yeah. And I looked at that, and I just thought, well, you look at the actual, what, what was going on at the time, mm. and heavyweight division was on the road to nowhere. And the rest of the sport did have to pick it up. The yeah. rest of the sport had to become the superstars, and they did with Manny Pacquiao and um, and Floyd Mayweather, and that they carried us through the next ten years until the heavyweights were ready yeah. um, to take centre stage again, which they were with Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua. So, quick question now: Then, are we in a golden era of boxing at present? And if not, how we how close are we to it? I think we are in a golden age of, of boxing at the moment. I think we've um, got more boxing on. Television and any ever before, yeah. we can access the sport whenever we want, and we have a ton of characters and massive names and massive events going on. We're about to come up with the first first undisputed title, uh, heavyweight title fight for twenty yeah. odd years. Yeah. That in itself yeah. elevates us to a golden period in the sport. I think. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, I'm loving it at the moment. Yeah, I'm more yeah. passionate about boxing than, than I've been for been. years. Oh wow! Um, I wouldn't say ever because I, I would say ever that since around I this came time, into your life, Joel. <laughs> You've reignited it for me, mate. Um, no, but ever since sort of at that time, you know, it was, I mean, boxing was, uh, you know, you just look through this, mate, uh, uh, fights were happening. Previews in, in this fight is Gatti against Mayweather, mm. you know. Um, it was also Hatton against Costa Zoo. Wow. You know, these are just fights massive that are just fights. massive fights that yeah. are there. Um they've just they've they've just reviewed Castillo Corrales. Oh my god. Well, that was a boring fight. <laughs> <laughs> so look, this was a golden age, and I think we're in one right now with massive fights, but we do need more contenders fighting regularly.
Yes, exactly. More we we need the we need more of the best fighting the best because there is some absolute quality out there. But they've got to take each other on, and uh, you know they've got to take risks if they want that legacy. And we are definitely in the most golden age of British boxing there's ever been. Yeah, there have never been this amount of of name fighters about um, who have TV deals and and are fighting regularly. Yeah, and and as well, you I mean, if you look at the quality of British fighters coming through at a young age as well. And they get their big fights over here, which has never happened in the history of the sport. Yeah, exactly. It's never happened that they regularly get their biggest fights over here, and now that's the case. We're the centre of boxing. Mm. It's us and and the Middle East, it seems, and the Mm. Middle East put put the fights on at our time as well. So there's never been a better time to be a British boxing fan. Is is the reason for that AJ, do you think? Yes, 100%. Yeah. We should all be grateful to AJ and what he's brought to sport. Yeah. And further than that... He's a massive... I mean, he sort of transcended the sport. He did, but actually we can go all the way back to Audley Harrison in 2000. Ah, yeah, Getting that Olympic gold and it increased the Olympic funding um, pool that was available to to UK fighters. And we haven't looked back. Amir Khan then came on a few years later in Mm. 2004 in Athens. After that what Audley Harrison and Amir Khan did mm. that increased the sp- the funding probably tenfold because yeah. of the way that we work out we basically in in um UK we work out a funding for olympic sports on on sports that we anticipate could do well yeah. at the next olympics and then pull our money there mm. and then we've the, obviously UK athletics looked at british boxing and thought well we're getting a bit of success let's pump it in and and as a sport thank god we've never looked back never been a better time for talent coming through in britain it's just like a conveyor belt at the moment it's incredible Brilliant, Joel. Nothing. There's nothing more we can say uh, to that. I like that one, Joel. Brilliant. Right, get me the the stash, please. Right, I have a edition of Boxing News dated January twenty first, two thousand and five, and it seems to be an edition that's looking at the year ahead. What's in store? It says predicting the year ahead. See pages twelve to thirteen. That might just be that's going to be I'm an easy do. one. <laughs> you know, let's see what they <laughs> yeah, yeah. What came true? What predicted? What yeah. did they predict? And what happened? We have on the Brilliant. front Lennox Lewis, uh, Vitali Klitschko, Oscar De La Hoya, Miguel Cotto, and Ricky Hatton. So that should be a good one. We also have. Uh, the headline, one of the headlines on the top, how good is Scott Harrison? I mean, he was very good, but he was also a man who suffered from terrible demons. And we also have amateur ratings, your verdict. I will probably steer clear of that. Right. We hope you've enjoyed this edition. I certainly have because I'm very, you know, I'm an egomaniac. I love my own work. And uh, Joel, over to you. Any last words? Love you all. And on that note, goodbye.